The Guardian. Hello, it's Music Weekly. I'm Alexis Petridis. And I'm Kieran Yates. This week, Deep Valley tells us that they're the greatest rock and roll band ever. Controversial. Kieran gets in a time machine to talk to Amy, plus another round of new singles slug it out. We'll hear on Music Weekly from The Guardian. Casper Llewellyn-Smith is here. Hello, Casper. Hello, nice to see you. How's things? Yeah, good, thanks. I haven't seen you since uh, Tuesday night when we were both we in the audience. We experienced the uh, Spice uh, musical together. Yeah, I was there taking my, my daughter to see it, who I thought might enjoy it, and you were there on your own. I was there doing my critical duty. Um, How was it? It was, it was rubbish. Right. But, I mean, I've seen worse things. Because I mean, I, the reviews, the other reviews, I have to say, I find myself in the fairly unique position in my critical career of being the person who's been the kindest about something, which I don't think has ever happened to me before. Um, I've seen much worse things than that in the theatre. I've seen, you know, We Will Rock You is much, much worse than, you know, than that. I mean, it's not... I think the point you made in your review is, is the right one, though, that the Spice Girls don't really have the songs yeah. to stand up. A two-hour-long yeah. musical. I mean, there's sort of three or four hits, yeah. and yeah. the rest is a bit padding it. It's, yeah, not, some, it's not doing Mamma Mia. It's not ABBA, where at least no. you've got the kind of comfort of going, oh, well, look, it's another sort of no. classic ABBA I wonder song. if it is critic-proof, though. I wonder if... Because we say, I sort of thought this is clearly... You know, it doesn't really matter whether I like it or, or whoever likes it. Because I didn't like it because I don't particularly like the Spice Girls songs, so why would I like it? Um, but if you do like the Spice Girls songs, as I walk back from the theatre, which by Piccadilly Circus to Green Park Tube to get the train back to Brighton and um, some women were also taking the same route the entire way sang Spice Girls songs on the really? way back to the were singing like uh, you know Stop and um, the other ones <laughs> the other all those other <laughs> huge but, uh, but that's the thing isn't it because they didn't have this great legacy of being like fan- you know having no. fantastic you know songs you know, or being songwriters or any of that kind of thing I was just like well is it, like, are we supposed to like it was anyone going in there thinking it was going to be brilliant I think there was just a lot of people right. it was ladies of a certain age ladies yeah. of a certain age enjoyed it essentially the audience was you on your own me with a child sure. and, and a lot of ladies of a certain age certain gentle, gentlemen of a certain persuasion well, yes. yeah. I would have um, liked it I would have sang along would you I think yeah, you, you probably would I thought it was kind of um the point it was making central point it was making was fairly insulting anyway look let's not talk we have more important things to discuss <laughs> than this piffle about the Spice Girls musical, uh, because it's the Guardian Albums of the Year. We're, we're, we're reaching reaching the... Uh... We've been milking it for every... <laughs> as much as we possibly can. I feel like Jennifer Saunders writing a musical. <laughs> milking it as, uh, as long as we possibly can. Uh, counting down. I mean, this thing is based on a poll of our critics, the two of you mm. included, Indeed. and uh, they number... Uh, it's over 30 people, I think, or something. So mm-hmm. there's some critical authorities to it, we hope. We hope. And uh, we've, we announced 40 to 20 I think and then 20 to 10 and then for the last uh, 10 days or so we've been counting down 10 mm-hmm. to 1 uh, and I think by the time this is broadcast we'll know what the number 2 record is leaving people guessing what the number 1 is uh, number 2 is Grimes number 2 is Grimes mm-hmm. so if people have been following it they may be able to deduce that it's uh, not Grimes not Grimes is it I mean has it been a well received end of year list they so usually they usually are <laughs> Uh, people like it, I think. I mean, on every single, you know, the comments are always, I can't believe that you think this is a great record. This yeah. is, you know, it goes back and forth and people get agitated and exercised. But I don't think there's been sort of any, any gaping holes that I think a couple of years ago there was an incident in which Dirty Projectors didn't make 
the list at all, and people kept anticipating it would be revealed as the number one album. And it wasn't oh, really? The slightest. Yeah. That, that caused kind of mayhem. But they, they mayhem. Recent <laughs> album has has featured. I quite I like, like the, the I quite like the idea that the commenters keep ranting about how they must be fixed, but Casper's. And your favourite album? My favourite album year wasn't even didn't even make the top forty. Wow. Uh, so they're thought, not in fact fixed. It's a by true democracy. Right. What, what was your favourite album of the year? <laughs> it was the very best album. Uh, oh. MTM. I can't even remember how you pronounce it. That's probably saying getting the list. Mortimer Loawi, the Madonna's kids. It's an acronym for that. Okay, right, 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 right. And that didn't even make it anywhere. Didn't make it anywhere at thing. all. Kieran, what was your album of the year? Was it on the list? Uh, no, it wasn't on the list. My personal one was uh, Rinse Presents Royalty. Okay. Uh, his grand producer. So basically, nobody's favourite albums of the year. Mine no. did. It's the lowest common denominator. But I think <laughs> I think it's it's down to a payola, isn't it? I mean, it's it's a massive conspiracy between the Guardian and people who advertise in the newspaper to. You know. <laughs> yeah, we should say that the fourth person sitting here is Lord Justice Leveson back from his holiday in Australia, <laughs> monitoring everything we're saying about this. So, I mean, who, did anybody's favourite album get in this list? Uh, lots of people made the record that well, is yeah. number one was the number one record of lots and lots of people. And was it's, it? It's right, also okay. a record that I know uh, HMV every year pull together a poll of polls where they, they mm-hmm. take all these similar polls that other music magazines and other websites publish. And I know that the record that is our number one also triumphs in this poll of polls. Um, How? Interesting. There is consensus. There was something that a lot of people have said there's not much consensus around music and, you know, it's, it's sort of a bit a bit bitty, but it does appear there is consensus around this. I do think so, but I do also one. think that um, album, like Jesse Ware's album mm-hmm. um, has, you know... Which is number three in our chart. has been really, like, really well received. Even Kendrick Lamar, is, mm-hmm. as, which was I'm bidding as the hip-hop album of the year, you know, most people agreed with I that. I think actually guitar music has had, uh, in some ways, because there hasn't been very much good guitar music, it's actually worked in the favour of Tame Impala, because that's yeah. the one album that everyone seems to go, yeah, yeah actually, this, this is definitely pretty good, you know, whereas you could argue the toss about, you know. Yes. Should we just say what the top ten were for people Shall who we? Should we count it down? Can we, yeah. put a bit of, can we have a little touch of, at the side <laughs> of the swinging symbol behind us? Excellent. We're going to do it in your fluff voice. No, I won't right. do it off. Um, At number ten, Bobby ah. Womack. Uh, yep. Nine, Hot Chip, eight, The XX, seven, Alt J, six, Tame and Parlour. That was, I think, your favourite record, Alexis. Indeed. Six, Kendrick Lamar, uh, which you, Kieran, wrote about. Four, Dirty Projectors, uh, making up for last time. Number three, Jesse Ware. Number two, Grimes. And number one... Wait and see. Wait and see. Very exciting. Right, OK, well, there you go. If your favourite was in there, wasn't in there, you know where to leave your comments. Guardian.co.uk forward slash Music Weekly. So, Kieran, you're going to be talking to Amy. Yeah. Uh, I say going to because you haven't actually done it yet. You're going to be after this podcast. <laughs> um, people hear the podcast, you will obviously have done it because about to play the interview, which hasn't actually been recorded yet. What are you going to ask her? What are you going to tell her? Let me see your notes. Well, <laughs> from my mind, she's just uh, made the BBC sound of 2012, 2013. How, has she? Yep, she has. 2013. 2013, that's um, right. Who um, else is in this list? Uh, Aluna George, were in it. Good. Lots of Americans as well. I think the thing about the BBC poll Angel that's... Hayes was... Angel Hayes, very good. Slightly, un- it, you know, it does American, it does British as well, so it is quite a mixed bag of things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's good. But anyway, so, okay, so what are you going to ask her? Um, yes, probably talk about this, you know, talk about the industry, talk about pop, because yep. uh, she, you know, she's supposed to be a breath of fresh air in the current pop climate. So okay. we shall see. Well, let's hear what she had to say for herself. Breath of fresh air. Yeah. 
congratulations on making the BBC sound list. Oh, uh, thank you very much. That's great. You're in very good company as well, I see. Yeah, it's such an honour to be amongst people like, you know, Angel Hayes and The Weeknd and um, I think it's Laura Mavula. Laura Mavula. I do call her Mavulva, which I do think is wrong. And oh, <laughs> doesn't really want to hear. So. Mavula, that's the one. Yeah, it's really, really good. I, I am in amazing company, yeah. Great. Yeah, I mean, I think it's off the back of presumably City Lights, which has, you know, been a track that was well released and has been on blogs and has been lots has been written about what nice soulful soulful pop you've been doing so yeah that's I mean that's good it's off the back of city lights yeah I think I think that and um my other few viral videos um find a boy ride or die and obviously my first official release which was play the game boy Mm -hmm. so I think all of those kind of added as well as I think some of the people who voted for me I'm guessing have come to watch me perform Mm -hmm. and see me do my thing live so kind of got the vibe fully then yeah I think one of the things that's really interesting about uh, your trajectory is how you've used fanzines and ha- how you've used that kind of element because it's not done, yeah. you know, so often. Usually people take the blog, Tumblr, mixtape route. Yes. But to really establish your identity in a really nice print form is, is you know, really interesting. Let's talk about that. Yeah, um, I actually had never discovered fanzines until I started doing my own and started doing a bit of research. Growing up back home and coming over here, um, I only ever read things like, you know, We Love Pop Mag or, you know, the little the little magazines with like lip glosses inside and stuff okay. like that. And I was smash always, it, yeah, smash it, exactly. I was always really interested in them and I always had this like crazy idea to just like do something of my own and include my own bits and bobs and talk about everything from fashion to, I don't know, my idols and have like a little agony art page and stuff. So once I got signed and I got the opportunity to do that, I literally just ran at it. Me and my friends just sit down and, you know, kind of collaborate our crazy ideas. And that's how the AME gets made. It's really nice, you know, you. in this sort of print industry in decline that you're still putting something out there. Yeah, I think, yeah, exactly. It's very important for people to have something like as a hard copy. And um, I almost use it as like, a, I don't know, like a collectible item or something. And, you know, there's different issues of it. And you can see the progress um, through my fanzines. It's all about growth and, you know, just all about me and what I do. And it's a great way for fans to connect on a one-to-one basis, I think, because they can see that I'm really just a normal girl who loves, you know, shopping in you know Oxford Circus as much as they do and stuff so exactly it's sort of something very attractive about the tangibility of that but also being able to empathize with your experience because you're young aren't you yeah exactly how old are you I'm 17 18 in two days oh okay good so by the time this goes out you'll be celebrating your birthday yeah (laughs) partying large yeah what are you doing for it I'm having a big old party (laughs) big 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 party you're gonna be singing do you know what I thought about that? But then I thought it might be a bit cheesy if I perform at my own birthday. It's true. It's, a tr- it's true. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that I thought was really interesting um, was obviously growing up in Sierra Leone. The yes. thing, the kind of pop music, the Western pop music from here that crossed over. Well, I guess mm-hmm. from America that put, crossed over. Yeah. Were boy bands, and you talk a lot about you know really liking NSYNC and Backstreet Boys. Yeah. that like, tell me a little bit about the experience of living in Sierra Leone and just having that sort of Western crossover. Yeah, it was. Um, I describe like I don't know I describe the music that I listen to back home as outdated because um everything 
that I would listen to would be like two years old. So it would be like Britney from two years ago and stuff. So yeah, I was I, w- I grew up on bands. Uh, my dad was in a band with his brothers and um, I went on tour with him, his first headline tour around Sierra Leone. And I kind of remembered being in the audience and going, yeah, this is amazing. He's so cool and everyone's clapping for my dad and this is really awesome. But I kind of wanted to be the person at the forefront and I wanted to be the person who was getting cheered on. I, I didn't want to be in the audience so much. So um, yeah, once I moved over here and I kind of discovered more boy bands like Blue and um, I discovered more genres of music and just like kind of this whole opportunity that I didn't think even existed back home, I literally leaped. So it was choir, regional festivals for youth, um, like my friend's little pop-up studio in his bedroom, to studio in school, just kind of jumped at every single opportunity that I could have. And that's where your pop sensibilities stemmed from? Yeah, definitely. My dad, um, my mum can't sing a a tune bless her um but yeah it all comes from my dad and he kind of he taught me a lot um whilst he was on tour and I remember like taking his little notepad where he would write all his all his songs and kind of rewriting them but using the same melodies and kind of trying to change his lyrics and make it my own until one day I could finally write my own song fully and um presenting it to him and going ha check me out now I'm like so good so yeah it all comes from from him Let's talk a little bit about um, three tracks you mentioned that you've that you've released throughout the year, mm-hmm. um, and and your process and the kind of your take on pop music. Yeah, um, I started uh, the first release was City Lights, and um, that was just kind of I don't know, just like an online thing, um, and I just it was just a bit of a tastemaker. I just wanted people to kind of know who AME was and just be a bit aware of me. Um, and that's quite, it's like a bubblegum tune. It's, you know, it's about DJs and dancing and the whole electric vibe of, you know, a night out. Not that I would know because, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, my night out to Nando's and back home. <laughs> what I think a night out should be, I should say. Um, so that was City Lights. And then Ride or Die was the second one which followed. And that was another viral video. And that was a bit more grown up. Um, it was me just like talking about guys and saying, you know, they play games, you can play games too. Um, and then went on to Find a Boy, which was written with Emily Sande and um, produced by Naughty Boy. And that was really grown up. Um, so is that, the, is that the sort of most important thing for you, sort of being youthful, is having dance tracks rather than those melancholic emotional heartbreak tracks um I don't think I don't think so necessarily I mean I think it's good to keep it light-hearted for the most part and keep it fun um just because we are in a recession um (laughs) it is winter you know (laughs) the weather's bad people are already depressed as it is like I don't need to depress them further (laughs) and to be honest, um, Adele does that really well and that's why she sold so well. So I don't really need to be reiterating what she does. Um, so yeah, for the most part, I think I keep my songs really upbeat and fun. Um, but the thing is, if you listen closely to the lyrics, um, they'll be pretty deep or they'll be quite grown up and mature. It's just putting it on a beat that's not so, you know, melancholy. Um, how, how influenced were you by... Uh, local music in Sierra Leone growing up were you sort of aware of that and does that feed into what you're making at the moment 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was no running away from like reggae. Um, <laughs> there was no running away from soca and like African um, African beats and stuff. And again, with my dad being in a band, that's all I would hear. And he can play so many instruments. So him and his brothers literally would like just bang out like a beat on the spot. And it was all, yeah, very reggae, very... Um, very instrumental, nothing was ever like just to track, everything was done live. So that kind of inspired a lot of, like a lot of things in terms of the way that I write. I don't know, like wanting to write proper songs kind mm -hmm. of comes from my dad because I kind of learned that songs need to have two verses and they need to have a middle eight and you know, they need to have a hook here and a pre and blah, blah, blah. So I think, yeah, he definitely shaped, shaped me as a musician as well as, yeah, everything that I listened to growing up. I think um, absolutely in the last few years, there has been a real shift in perception of, you know, the way in which you can create those localised forms like reggae yeah. and bashment and dance or people like Rihanna and Nikki who are just yeah. so fiercely connected and saying like, no, this is, this is this, you know, my heritage music. Mm -hmm. This is the sound that I grew up with and this is what I'm going to inject into pop. And as a result, pop music, you know, has completely changed. Now, yeah. you know, you're always, you know, there's always like people bogling in the club. There's always like a bit exactly. of fingers. There's always like that dance hall element. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I think it's so sick that we have people like, Nikki and Rihanna and even Beyonce at a certain point mm. was like just literally pushing forward the whole you know kind of this is your culture embrace it and do do what you want to do with it um yeah when I did Ride or Die which was my second viral video it was a kind of a bashment a bashment sounding track and it's pop that's what I kind of wanted to let everyone know it's like it can be pop but there can be different things that stem off of pop exactly you can normalize your sound and yeah. it can still be popular music and you know doesn't need to be defined exactly another classification okay. okay so what's uh what's your 2013 looking like 2013 is world domination year. <laughs> so, um, I can see that. Look, you've got that look in your eyes of just like <laughs> pure ambition. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you say that. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to be writing, writing for my album, finishing that off. Hopefully my first headline tour, writing for others as well. I really want to go over to Korea and um, work with my, you know, K-pop, like, oh, my yeah, K-pop lovers. Be, yeah, that would be so great. Yeah, that would be, like, the sickest thing ever because um, I'm so obsessed with that. I just, everything they do is so futuristic and I think all their songs are almost, like, two years ahead or all their videos are, like, so super HD and they, like, they think about every little detail mm -hmm. and I love that because I'm a bit of a perfectionist so it's amazing to see people like that putting in so much um, into things that are really minute. I don't know, I just really want to perfect my craft and just kind of, yeah, work with lots more, lots of other writers so that I can kind of get better at what I do yep. and just be an all round, I don't know, like pop star as they call it. Well, you have pop star quality, which is, oh, thank which you. is a good thing. And I think that, you know, that sort of energy is very nice. Yay, it's thanks. Right in the, <laughs> the Guardian studio. Uh, <laughs> yay. Um, best of luck and congratulations again. Thank you you're on the you're, you're on the BBC list, so it must I be, know, yeah. it's going to be your year. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. It's time for Singles Club, the place where singles get clubbed. Uh, let's start with Casper's Choice. Baby, you're magnificent. Child, you're 
Matthew E. White there with uh, Will You Love Me. Casper, uh, your choice singles club. Tell us all about Matthew E. White. Tell us about Will You Love Me. What do you like about it? Well, what do I know of him? I mean, I think this is a record that came out in the States last year. It has only been released uh, in the UK in January. Uh, And I've just been listening to it quite a lot over the last two weeks. I like it's kind of, you know, it feels like pulling a big thick duvet over you when it's really cold outside Mm -hmm. and having a a nice mug of cocoa. Uh, I like that way. It just feels quite old school, but uh, it's quite lo-fi so. as well it feels quite you know what I mean it's the sort of music that uh, you could do a big production number on and turn into quite polished and grandiose glossy sounding thing you know and actually this sounds a bit more uh, a bit more sort of low-key it reminded me a little bit in some ways of um, Elliot Smith yeah. I thought melodically it had a touch of that about it oh, I like the way there is the, sort of the kitchen sink chucked at it though and there's a sort of nice brass sound I'm a sucker for a bit of a brass sound mm-hmm. I like the fact he's got a big beard luxuriant beard where you think that small animals may get lost <laughs> I tell you what that, that's not something with the best will in the world the music scene is lacking at the moment no, is it? American, American alt rock with big beard I mean I don't think it's doing anything kind of hugely original as you suggest but uh, I just think it's a kind of beautiful comforting warm mm-hmm. it's record. good songs I think that's the thing I think that's what I like on the most basic level that's what I like about it good songs Kieran you're nodding yeah yeah, I think it's definitely beautiful. There's the kind of um, element of a sensual slow jam about it. And I heard it the first time. I was like, oh, this is really romantic. It's making romantic. Me, make me feel things. Oh. Yeah, so that was... You caught feelings. That was, that was yep, I did. Um, and I think that my ear has been a little bit more attuned to this kind of music after a year of Dawn Gibson and Civil Wars. And sure, Jack sure, White sure. And all, all that kind of thing. So, I yeah, I really like that element of it. I like the yeah, orchestral nature. Um, I liked how he was just very, very low-key. The video was very mm. stripped back and it was basically just sort of panning him playing piano, um, apparently wearing the same outfit as he's wearing on the album cover. I like the fact that he uh, he describes it as American music, a gentleman's psychedelia from the new world. I like wow. the idea of a gentleman's psychedelia. A gentleman's psychedelia. That's what a great idea. No, I thought it was good. I thought it was uh, appealingly, um, I said low-key. Um, and, you know, despite all sort of brass arrangements and stuff like that, there's something quite subtle about the way that it's done, and I basically yeah. just think it's a very good song. Matthew E. White, Will You Love Me, um, is out now? Everything's out now. I really, think it's out it? now, and the album, the debut album, Big Inner, comes out, at least in the UK, you can find it on things like Spotify already, but it comes out released, if you want to buy a CD, uh, towards the end of January. Okay, wonderful. Uh, let's move on to Kieran's choice. He only plays for you to watch the way you move And I can see it on his face Desire burning like a furnace Aaliyah, please don't take my man Although you know that you can I never met a boy so true But there's just something that you do Aaliyah, please That's Katie B with Genius, Jesse Ware, Aaliyah. Uh, the track is called Aaliyah. Um, this is Kieran's choice. Kieran. This was uh, something that was on an EP that she just released the other day called. Is Danger. this the one that she's just sort of. Free one. Yeah. 
um, which appeared I, out of nowhere. It's just brilliant. It was just so it's good. It's a very I mean, good EP. I think you know, KUB does release consistently good dance tracks. Mm-hmm. Her album is definitely one of my favourite ones of last year. And uh, I thought this was really fitting uh, to kind of be released now because the inclusion of uh, Jesse Ware particularly makes it sound very cut and makes it feel like it's this really nice development, mm. this really nice roundup of the sound of the year and. Uh, and also a little bit of the trend of you know '90s dance nostalgia. Definitely sounded like a '90s house track to me. Yeah, yeah and uh, you know, and I think that she's quite self-knowing about that, referencing Aaliyah. I assume that Aaliyah she's referring to as the Aaliyah. I um, did find the, it difficult to believe because then the lyric doesn't make much sense, does it? She's saying Aaliyah. It's a sort of Jolene yeah, kind well, of situation, I, but Aaliyah, unlikely <laughs> under the circumstances, to take a man being dead. Yeah, but I thought it was, you know, more about paying... Like, also, in the 90s, to... Aaliyah, unlike to take a man, because she was, like, 14. <laughs> um, um, yeah, but, you, you know, I mean, it's just... It's uh, this idea of R&B female vocalists being framed by the legacy of Aaliyah. And I think that she's mm, just being aware of this and this kind of idea of envy and, you know, things. I think it's, um, you know, multiple readings or whatever. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, but she thought it was really great. I liked it very much. Is this UK funky? No, I wouldn't say so. Is it what? How would you describe it? Is it generically? Oh, I'm not hundred. The thing know, is, like I don't step. actually know what UK funky is, right? Okay. Is UK funky the stuff that sounds a bit like Speed Garage? Well, yeah. Yeah, all right. Yeah, you know, um, like a, it's just like a, you know. Is this the way UK funky? Is this the way that kind of music's going? Because this is a much more like some, it's like a deep house track. It has a little hint of. Um, it sounds not unlike, in some ways. Um, Roy Davis Jr.'s Gabriel, which is also the inspiration mm-hmm. behind the track Gabriel um, the mate from Hot Chip did last year. Um, it, it reminds me of that kind of quite... Yeah, but I feel of... like it's a lot more of a stripped-back sound to, like, Funky House. You okay, know, the kind of... of Egypt, you know, Summary, that that kind of strain of Funky House. This is a lot more pulled back and yeah. a bit more two-steppy injections, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. I, I would say. Casper? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I really liked it. I think it's a kind of cheeky time of year to put something out yeah. like this mm. just before Christmas when people are kind of doing what we've been doing, thinking about records of the year. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Yeah. Go, oh, actually, Katie Beat, that will be a good record next year. Yeah. Shaping yes, up. that's true. She's got an album coming out, hasn't she? So She's got like a new a... album. I don't know whether the EP is representative of that. I don't know if it is the same songs. I get the impression probably not, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's just here's some more tunes. Yeah. Uh, but I think that record's coming in April, I think. Right. Okay. I look forward to that, actually, because okay, it sounds really good. And also, so much has been um, written about Drake allegedly doing Aaliyah's, you know, reworked album this year. What's this? And all that. Well, there was a, a few months ago, there was a big news story about how Drake is going to be producing... Aaliyah's album. Have you heard this? What? She's got some vocals left over or something? Well, yeah, but also remixing existing tracks. And so there was a a remix of Rock the Boat. Right. That was out. And then there was this, you know, this backlash. Yeah, I'm not surprised. (laughs) Alexis Screwface. (laughs) (laughs) Screwface. No, I just don't. I mean, with the best one in the world, you know, Drake, whatever. I mean, you know, I'm I'm sure our, our opinions about Drake's work. Uh, differ somewhat. Uh, I think, uh, particularly the uh, the stuff that Aaliyah did towards the end of her life, the last album, the eponymous album she made, is just like an absolute mm. high watermark of um, incredibly adventurous sort of pop production. I think We Need a Resolution is an amazing track. Yeah. Um, and More Than the Woman's brilliant. And and it's just Timberland when he was like super, oh, super yeah. good, you know. Um, and I don't really want somebody doing a load of sort of weepy fucking oh, no auto-tune over the top of it do you know what I mean I think that was the general consensus on the forums it's just it's, it's not you know what I mean it, it doesn't seem to be sort of it doesn't really need updating because it's so sort of futuristic and so of its it, it's sort of almost I think that, that those records are actually quite timeless in that they were so sort of alien at the time it was so, I remember hearing 
we need a resolution on the radio. And thinking there was a, genuinely, and a kind of proper dad, like, is there something wrong with this record? You know, mm-hmm. I thought there was some, it's such a peculiar beat on it and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I don't want Drake messing about with that. Yeah, but I think that just that idea, I think that kind of lots of conversations and lots of comparisons to, you know, Angel Hayes' look with Aaliyah and then, mm. you know, this posthumous album by Aaliyah. And I don't know, I just think that these three women have been talked about quite rightly a lot this year interesting interesting okay Katie B uh, with Genius and uh, Jesse Ware and Aaliyah I know he said that Katie B with Genius and Jesse Ware uh, the track Aaliyah uh, is around about now for free isn't it it was a free download yes. that thing um, on, on the internet finally my choice ladies and gentlemen uh-huh. may I introduce to you That is CeeLo Green, featuring the Muppets, or as we now appear to rather depressingly be obliged to call them, Disney's The Muppets. Um. Um, and that's all I need is love. Uh, I number of reasons why I brought this in. I thought, frankly, we needed perking up, we needed a bit of Christmas music. Because we've got Matthew White mumbling on and all that, and that's great. And we've got Katie B and Aaliyah Don't Take Manuals. And it's nearly Christmas. That's and, right. you know, it's time to raise a glass of festive eggnog. I am a fan of... Christmas singles, which don't really get made anymore. I like a big, cheesy, tinselly. What's your favourite? Uh, my favourite is is like everybody's favourite is "Merry Christmas, Everybody" by Slade. Um, oh. I just think that's that's a totally unimpeachably brilliant. Right? It's, it's it's a record that's so perfect it makes me want to cry. But <laughs> 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 I'm particularly oh, when God, I see Slade up, performing it, and it's these kind of weird looking, ugly blokes from Wolverhampton, <laughs> um, and it's such. But anyway, but you know, I like. I don't like. So much is sort of subtle Christmas record. I like, you know, I wish it could be Christmas every day. I like Step Into Christmas by Elton John. I like those big kind of 70s cheesy things. And we don't make them anymore. Yeah. Because I love pop- the idea of you just wiping away a tear at what Oh, man, I got really... I, I, I had a few drinks on Saturday uh, evening at home, and I ended up uh, listening... No, I, was, I went down a sort of Slade rabbit hole on YouTube, and I was looking at all these things of Slade in the early 70s. I was like, this band was just the most amazing group. And I was like... What well, they weren't doing, Merry Christmas, everybody. They were doing Goodbye to Jane, and uh, I was like properly choking up watching it. I was like, "This is such brilliant, amazing music." Look at the state of the guy playing guitar. Amazing. Slade Night, incidentally, if you like Slade, and, and of course you should, um, on uh, BBC Four next Friday. One can only hope they show the uh, the 1972 documentary in which Dave Hill, the guitarist from Slade, claims to have moved into a, a large house next door to a se- girls' secondary school by accident. Um, oh, God. Also, he appears to, uh, as far as I can gather from this documentary, spend his entire day in his own house, clomping around in his full sort of Dave, Dave Hill from Slade gear in these <laughs> enormous platforms and the thing on his head. Anyway, so that's not the point. Casper, is this a thing? Is this a, like a generational thing to just love like 70s cheesy Christmas songs? Oh, I don't really like them. Don't you not? I don't really like that song either. It's too subtle for me. My favourite Christmas song is, uh, and it's a sort of similar thing. I don't like the Muppets either. Uh, what the fuck is wrong uh, with you? <laughs> the chef from South Park doing Chocolate Salty Balls. Right, that's okay. my favourite Christmas song. But um, Is that a Christmas too song? Rude. I think so, yeah. I think it's part of a kind of Christmas okay. EP or something. <laughs> okay. Uh, get well, very... You don't know the Muppets. Who doesn't know the Muppets? I don't know the Muppets. 
It's not easy being green. I like the Muppets. <laughs> yeah, they're very good. Um, no, the other thing I, I sort of thought. Well, we don't really make stupid Christmas singles the anymore. Darkness, the darkness had a. They were the last single. people to do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. because but I think pop- that came in the contract when they kind of started making new records. <laughs> and they were obliged to do that. I think that pop sort of music thing. has changed and become quite a sort of. It's. You know, what the sort of area that used to provide you the cheesy Christmas single had now comes with such a thick veneer of good taste. You know, you've got like mm. One Direction, a boy band, and they call, they call upon a sensitive singer-songwriter like Ed Sheeran for help, which didn't used to happen. You didn't get the Bay City Rollers ringing up Nick Drake and going, you know, can you help us out? You know, even t- TV talent show winners um, cover Leonard Cohen. So that's sort of. But then saying that, we have had the, you know, like suddenly all these novelty songs, like that sort yeah. of, you know, Sigh. like. One pound fish. Why? Do, like, why do all the sort of Asians have to have novelty songs? Well, that's, anyway? I think that's, that's a bit peculiar. It about really that. is. But like, I there's loads of cool bit, Asians. Why are we always like novelty? But it's a bit like that. We're too cool to do that. And there's a little hint of kind of look at the funny foreigners okay. who don't really know what they're doing. Blah blah blah. More feel them. Funny people from Wolverhampton in the case of Slade. No, no, but we didn't. That's what I'm saying. That's, this is what I'm talking about now, not 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 yeah. then. Um, also, the other reason I like this record. A, it's got Mana Mana by the Muppets on it, and, and Casper excluded. Anybody who doesn't like that song is a baby murderer. Um, and secondly, it doesn't sound that different from Dungeon Family, the uh, psychedelic Atlanta <laughs> um, <laughs> rap collective that also Outcast were members of, and that, that uh, CeeLo Green was a member of. I was a huge fan of their album, uh, Dungeon Family, which, which came and just died on its ass. I thought it was going to do quite well because it had... Big Boy and, yeah. and um, Andre 3000 on it and stuff like that. But there was stuff on that. They sound a bit like the Muppets. It's this sort of array of gibbering kind of funkadelic-y sort of voices. And it sort of made me think of that as well. Okay. Um, so win-win. Video is amazing. Um, is it in latex or PVC yeah, or something? Yeah, I, I, I like his style. Do you think when he's on The Voice, I didn't realise he he's a judge on yeah. The Voice in America. He's great. Does he wear all that stuff on The yeah. Voice? He wore, he wore like one amazing cape one week. It's looking nuts. I love a man who rocks a cape. But I love ben a short, fat man who rocks a cape. interviewed him at one point, didn't he, and said that he was dressed like, just, you know, really? mad, like a madman. It's yeah. great. I think it's, I do think he's a generally a good he person. He once came here, he was in this very studio. Well, there's a photo one day. of him, isn't there, out there? He came here one day and sang us a song for some video stuff, and he, he looked amazing, but he also came with uh, about four or five backing singers who were all dressed... Uh, head to foot in, in very tight pink outfits, which caused quite a stir as they've been marched <laughs> through the Guardian building and sort of past the desk with the leader writers on it. And, uh, oh my very God. august that's people. I mean, that certainly brought a bit of festive cheer. Well, there you go. Uh, CeeLo Green featuring the Muppets. All I need is love. That's out. Uh, it certainly is around and about. I'm sure you. It must be out soon. It would. <laughs> A terrible record. There's a famous thing, company marketing uh, cock up uh, the, uh, January. There's a famous story at the, uh, the mid seventies, the uh, the Beach Boys, the height of Brian Wilson being like properly the not get, not getting out of bed thing. Brian Wilson went, "I'm going to make a Christmas single. I'm getting out of bed. I'm going to make a Christmas single." And took so long to make it, it got released on like Boxing Day. <laughs> <laughs> um, brilliant. Um, it's around about. Check out the video. He's got a Christmas album coming out. Uh, it comes out on Monday uh, called CeeLo's Magic Moment. I would advise you to download this track for 79p. Um, there's a version of Baby It's Cold Outside. I'm reviewing it this uh, this weekend. It's a version of Baby It's Cold Outside with Christina Aguilera on it. That they take so that song so straight that you actually feel like intervening. I just, you know, sorry, mate, you know, Christmas, we've all had a drink. The lady wants to stay here. She doesn't want to go in. And you say that people don't make Christmas songs anymore, but in fact, 
in film and music on Friday. It's all Christmas albums, isn't it? I can't Americans. Think, can't think what the other uh, Brit- ones are. Britons don't do it. Americans really... Um, America is still definitely part of the the, part, the passage of pop. You know, Justin Bieber made one, Lady Antebellum, a huge kind of act over there. It's, it, it's something that... But it's, I just don't think that... A, yeah. Olivia Newton-John and John Travolta Christmas Indeed album. they have, yeah. yes. Uh, which I haven't brought myself to listen to. He looks like a Muppet. He looks like someone's stuffed a fist on his ass <laughs> on the, uh, the cover of it, frankly. He looks like a fist of stolen the hair off a passing Lego man. He's got absolutely bizarre hair. And I discovered today that John Travolta, right, check it out, lives in a gated community, right, inside an airport in Florida. The community's within the airport in Florida. And everyone who lives in this community has their own plane. So instead of a garage, they have a hangar. And instead of a drive, they have a runway. And it's called something ridiculous like Jumbo Land or something like that. There you go. (laughs) Built on the proceeds of making shoddy Christmas albums. I suppose so. Um, Anyway, that's... You're not for this week. That's Singles Club. So here is Merry Christmas. On to Deep Valley. Lindsay, Troy and Julie Edwards first met in a crochet class. So how, in the space of one year, did they get from knitting to becoming a blues rock band hard enough to accompany a fist fight in a Tarantino movie? Literally hard enough to accompany a fist fight in a Tarantino movie. That's not a sort of Jeremy Clarkson-esque metaphor. Michael Hand finds out. So Lindsay, Troy of Deep Valley... Describe Deep Valley in one sentence for the benefit of listeners who have yet to hear your music. Deep Valley is like a juicy peach. You can't just have one bite. (laughs) Any improvement on that, Julie? Deep Valley is the greatest fucking rock and roll band ever. Come on, everybody. Listen up. Now the, the the story goes that uh, you two met when you Judy were teaching crochet and Lindsay you came in to learn. That sounds too good to be true. Does it? Yeah. Too good to be true. Oh yeah, crochet and rock and roll. I mean, it's a perfect combination. It, but you know, it sounds like a creation myth, but it's it's all true, is it? Every word of it. Yeah, it's very true. It's all about hooking. Is that a crochet term? It is. Mm-hmm. Explain to it me. It was a double entendre, though. Well, I realised. I realised <laughs> one part. Of it, it, it was the. It was the single bit that I didn't get because I know nothing about crochet. Oh, crochet! You do it with one hook. Right now, I, believe I could that, teach you right now if you want. Well, that yeah. would make the podcast really exciting. Well, if we had video, that would be the perfect thing. The irony <laughs> is that when we started um, our band, we thought that we should come up with something more juicy as a origin myth for Deep Valley. Yeah, we were, we were like, it's just not, it's not cool how we met. You know, we need to come up with a better story. And that's the irony is that we ended up sticking with our true roots and people have gotten quite a kick out of it. So <laughs> truth is stranger than fiction, I guess. Well, there is a history of crochet and rock. And I, I believe that Kelly Deal <laughs> took up crochet or it might have been knitting. Knitting. As, and a, as a means of overcoming. She published a knitting book of uh, knit handbag patterns. Well, she used to knit to kind of steer her away from her desire for hard drugs when she was on the road and trying to overcome addictions. Do you take the crochet out on the road with you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Can you yeah. get a lot and done? And we have crew members who also knit and crochet, so you have, it's, you have it's a, required. Mm-hmm. A crocheting crew. Is, yeah. it, is this in the same way that Morrissey requires his crew to be vegetarian, you require your crew to be skilled in the art of crochet? Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Now, we seem finally to be at a point where women can play rock music without people pointing at them and saying, look, women playing guitars. Oh, they can rock as well. Have your experiences been good or are there still people who are making judgments about you based on your sex? Well, first of all, I don't even think there's like a lot of people, men or women, playing rock music in the mainstream right now. So I think we're kind of freaks because of that. I think already that's kind of freakish. And then the fact that we're it's two women makes it even more freakish. And the fact that we're not afraid to be women and dress like women and we embrace our, you know, femininity and our sexuality um, makes us the ultimate freak show. So <laughs> I don't know. What do you think, Julie? It definitely seems polarizing. I mean, on occasion, we get a, a lot of guff. And because we're women and because we dress scantily. So there's some weird uh, status quo thing that we must be thwarting. Without really knowing it, you know, we're just doing what we want, what we feel like doing, a way we feel like doing it. But I don't know. We've ruffled some feathers. So what makes a good Deep Valley show when it all goes right? What, what will happen at a Deep Valley show? Someone will get naked in, this, in the audience. Yeah, that, that's happened before. <laughs> what does security do? Well, I asked, uh, this was at the 1234 Festival in Shoreditch, and I requested that someone in the audience, specifically male, get naked. And a man got naked, and I was really flattered that he did that, you know. I thought it was like a real, uh, like he was giving himself up to to the rock and roll, you know. It is a brave gesture. (laughs) Yeah, I thought it was really endearing, and um, I thanked him for doing that. And I think everyone got a kick out of it, you know. And then he awkwardly got dressed again, which was, which was hilarious. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's those moments, you know, it's those funny moments of people, just, just really human moments. Uh, you met Jimmy Page this year, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How, how did you find him? Julie sniffed him out. Uh, not literally. How did you locate him? <laughs> <but>. <laughs> what did you make? What did you make of him? Oh, he's oh, is that lovely. lovely. <laughs> <laughs> well, I turned left, then I turned right, and he was straight ahead. <laughs> he was really lovely, very handsome. Great, really well-dressed. Still looks like a proper rock star. Yeah, he was wearing like a leather suit with a skinny tie. He had really soft, um, delicate, small hands, and he was really a gentleman. There is more than a passing familiarity with Led Zeppelin records in your own music, isn't there? Yeah, we're both huge, huge fans. Nothing but respect for them. It's It's just the best wellspring to draw from. I mean, there's so much in Led Zeppelin. There's so much happening. I don't even know where to start, but there's like, of course, there's rock and roll. There's incredible grooviness. There's so much creativity, so much creativity. Uh, There's so much dynamic. There's so much sincerity. There's so much mythology. 
it's just it's just a beautiful thing. I don't think anyone has ever been able to be like Led Zeppelin again, really. And we talked a little bit earlier about you. You were saying that you don't feel there's that much rock music around at the moment. Do you think there are the seeds of a revival of interest coming at the moment? It seems to me that rock music hasn't really been very sexy for a while. It's been kind of nerdy and dweeby and record collector rock, and it kind of needs to be sexy to be good, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. I think so. That seems to be the controversial point, though. Yeah. I, I, definitely, I definitely feel that way, you know. You want it to make your hips move, not to think, oh, yeah, this sounds a bit like uh, 1967 B-Side. You just want your mind blown mm. violently, I guess, as opposed to on an intellectual level. <laughs> yeah, you know, just... I mean, it's very, you know, uh, it's music, especially rock and roll music, can be so animalistic in such a great way. Even just um, the experience of being in a crowd, you know, I love being in a crowd, watching a show that's just blowing my mind and making my body like move and sweat and just having thousands of people like cramped up against me and everyone's so excited and happy and sweating on each other, but they don't care because everyone's excited. People are crowd surfing. I mean, that's there's it's so animalistic. Um, There's also something to be said for every note you're hearing is being made, like every individual note. So there aren't machines generating arpeggios. There's nothing. There's nothing like that happening. Every little moment is actually succeeding or failing right in front of your face. And it's like a really dangerous place. You know, it's not totally solid and reliable. It doesn't sound exactly like it did the night before or like the record. Sometimes when I see people's bewildered faces who aren't like familiar with our music, I just remind myself that, that we're giving them an education. But I don't you understand? That was Michael Hand talking to Lindsay and Julie of Deep Valley. They've got an album out next year on uh, Island Records Communion, which is, uh, as you know, one of Mumford's. Label, the home of uh, Michael Kiwanuka, of course, Kiwanuka Records. That's us for this week. Thanks to Casper for joining us. There's some sort of Christmas uh, end of year hijinks uh, happening next week on Music Weekly. We'll see you then. Speak your brains, of course, at guardian.co.uk forward slash Music Weekly. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> bye bye. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.